listening to Truth To You with Jono and G'day to Gail and Esther in Georgia and Thomas in Ohio, Rebecca in Texas, Andy Bon in Cairns, Queensland, Catherine in Michigan and Janet in Nebraska. Wherever you may be around the world, it is good to have your company. It is time for Pearls from the Torah Portion with Keith Johnson and Jeremy Gordon. G'day, fellas. G'day, Jono. G'day, Jono. G'day. Hey, today we're in Emor, which is Leviticus 21, verse 1 to 24 verse 3 are you ready yes yes okay this is the way it starts it starts with the uh, regulations in regards to the conduct of the konim right it says and yehovah spoke to moses he said speak to the priests and to the sons of Aaron, and say to them none of them shall defile himself for the dead among his people now first of all what does that mean does that mean like none of them shall uh, go out and 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 take care of a burial. Is that is that well, what's yeah, being not, not just not just take care of a burial. Um, when we get to Numbers nineteen, and remember the the different sections of the Torah aren't in chronological order when they were revealed. So Numbers nineteen gives us more details about how you become ritually impure, or the Hebrew word is tameh, how you become tameh from the dead, and the way you become tameh is there's several ways. One is you uh, touch a dead body, actually being in the same room, or it says in scripture as uh, as it same tent as a dead body will actually make you ritually uh, unclean or make you tame from the dead mm-hmm. um, and then uh, actually touching a grave will also make you tame from the dead so you don't have to actually uh, bury the person um, in order to become tame from the dead they're even being in the presence essentially or in the same room as the dead body can make you ritually unclean and what it's saying here is the priests the Kohanim the sons of Aaron are not permitted to become ritually unclean from a dead body um, mm-hmm which is, you know, in a way kind of surprising, you know, because certainly we have in the Western world the image that the priest is the one who stands, you know, at the funeral and Mm. officiates, but the biblical priest isn't actually even allowed to really do that. Um, Now, their ways of burial were different, obviously. So to touch a a grave back then meant to actually touch an open tomb. Um, But you wouldn't have have a a biblical priest standing... um, in you know, essentially in the presence of this open tomb and, and officiating at, at mm. the at the at the uh, burial. Keith, in, in in your position, in your in your uh, history, uh, in the in the tradition where where you've come from, have you ever had to? Uh, what do you mean? This is our this is we marry, bury, and baptize. Those are the three things that uh, <laughs> marry, bury, and baptize. What are you talking about? I mean, but no, the the thing that really is, I, I think, is interesting about this is the the idea that. At least in our tradition, my tradition, you know, the point is these these very important things that happen uh, with people in their lives, and one of them is being death. That the idea is that um, if they've always taught us, and as as I went through uh, school and that sort of thing, is that you know if you want to be able to to uh, get people's attention, one of the places that's best able to do that is at a funeral. And one of the reasons is people are in touch with the fact that uh, there's an end. To all things, so you know, you pick the scriptures and that sort of thing. And but what I think is interesting about this is specifically we're talking about uh, the, the the sons of Aaron, the priests. My question really kind of is: so then, are there other categories of of people that would be in sort of uh, places of um, how can I use the word um, spiritual journey <laughs> mm-hmm. that wouldn't be the sons of Aaron, but that would be seen as those that would that would be at a an event of like that? So that if there was a quote-unquote burial of somebody uh who would be the people that would be there that would um well i, I think the most yeah. natural people to be there certainly in the ancient hebrew context would be the, the family 
And that's really what the next verse talks about. The next two verses Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. talk about how, well, there is the exception to the rule, which is, you know, he is allowed to be at the funeral of uh, his his close uh, kin, his mother, his father, his son, his daughter, his brother, and his unmarried sister. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, the natural people to be there at the family at, at the at the funeral are the family, uh, mm-hmm. the way it was you know done in ancient times. Okay, so, don't you guys think it's interesting though? That it's it's. I just think this is interesting that that uh, you know it's almost like this exception to the rule again. You know, don't don't be in the presence of a dead body. However. As it pertains to this group of people, we won't, I won't expect you to, uh, to 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 go by that. So, I mean, yeah. And what, it, what's what's the bottom line? Is you know, is, and, is, and it also seems like Keith. It also seems like that when someone passes away, it's it's solely a family affair. It's not as if a priest has to be there or a Levite has to be there or anyone's there in an official sort of way outside mm-hmm. of what is the the family affair. Is that fair, Nehemiah? Yeah, uh, pretty much yeah. the way it seems. Yeah. So we don't have anything yeah. here where we can talk about the funeral the funeral passages for the well, priests. We don't. Well, I mean, what we what we do, what we can say here is that um, so so this is the priests are allowed to go to the funeral of their close loved ones, mm-hmm. but then you know that's the exception to the rule for them. But then the exception to the exception is then the high priest in verse ten. It starts talking about the high priest. Yeah. And in verse eleven, it says, and he won't even go to the funeral of his his father and his father mother. His mother, yeah. Um, and then it says in verse 12, and he shall not go out from the temple, that he not uh, uh, desecrate the temple of his God. And it kind of, if you, if you just read verse 12, you'd think he was, you know, stuck in the temple all the time, which doesn't actually make sense because he's definitely got to do certain things, which um, he can't do in the temple. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, certain bodily functions, you know, they didn't have indoor plumbing. Sure. Um, and and, and what, it, what it's saying is if we look back at the story of Aaron, when his sons died, God said, okay, now you stay in the temple. Don't go to the funeral. You stay in the temple for the next seven days. And, and I think that's what the context here of verse 11 for the high priest is he must not leave the service of the temple in order to go bury even his mother and his father, mm-hmm. which, you know, is, is kind of shocking. And then it goes on. And, and uh, if we can skip ahead to verse 13, or did you want to do some more? Uh, no, I was uh, just going to say that the, the, the bar is set very high, isn't it? And, and, and It is. Yeah. And it kind of shocks me in some ways, and particularly in this politically correct world in which we live, the, the the verses that you're going to, and particularly uh, from 16 and on, but I suppose we'll get there. Uh, 13, and he shall take a wife in her virginity, a widow or a divorced woman, or a, or a defiled woman or a harlot. These he shall not marry, but he shall take a virgin of his own people uh, as a wife. Now, now that's the high priest. Now, we mm-hmm. had earlier right. in verse 7, uh, where it talked about the regular priest, you know, regular son of Aaron who mm-hmm. isn't the high priest. Uh, he is a lot. The uh, he is um, not allowed to marry a divorced woman or a prostitute. Mm-hmm. The high priest is not allowed to marry a divorced woman, a prostitute, or even a widow. He has to marry only a virgin, and that is a very high um, standard for him. Uh, what's interesting is is uh, if you compare this to Ezekiel chapter forty four, maybe we can jump over there for a minute. Can we mm-hmm. do that? We certainly can. Um, there's a famous um, uh, controversy here concerning specifically in chapter 44, verse 22, which to some people um, is, uh, seems to contradict what we just read in, in Leviticus uh, chapter 21. So maybe you could read for us 44.22. They shall not take as wife a widow or a divorced woman, but take virgins of the descents of the house of Israel or widows of priests. 
Ah, okay. What do now, you this do is that? something. Well, okay, so this this is something that only applied to the high priest in the Torah, and here it's it's being applied to some other group. And specifically, if if we look at what group is being talked about, that's in verse fifteen. It talks about the Levitical priests, the sons of Tzadok, that is mm -hmm. the line of the high priest. So this is a standard that's essentially being imposed upon the line of the high priest, um, which uh, it, you know, the, the the Torah only applied that to to the high priest himself. And here mm -hmm. there seems there's a whole subcategory of Kohen, a whole subcategory of, of priest who is from that uh, family direct line of the high priest who also has to follow these things. Hmm. Mm -hmm. um, what do I make of it? I don't know. It says what it says. Can Can I say just hey. one thing, Jono? I know we're about to go to this verse, which I, and I know we're uh, just just one step back. So so I think it's it is important, though it may be obvious to us as we've been reading through this, but for someone that would be listening, that that it would be helpful for them to understand when he speaks about uh, the high priest being in the temple, going about the business of what it means to be a high priest at that point. The significance of that. Um, which 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 they can sort of get information about. In other words, it it would be like this: if we were to take the three of us, okay? So I'm a um, you know I'm a Methodist, and uh, and Nehemiah is a Levitical. Uh, um, oh, let's do it this way: I'm just a regular uh, person out there. Nehemiah is from the line of King David, so he's got the kingly uh, you know uh, job, okay? Mm -hmm. But then Jonah is the high priest, so. So in this situation, Jono, if you were if you were a regular Levitical guard at the door, mm. and your mother died, um, you would be able to go to that funeral, correct? Yeah, correct. However, if you're the one who's spreading your hands out over the people as the high priest, you're mm -hmm. you're in that function, and it's your it's your time to be functioning within the the service of the temple, and your mother died, then you would not go. I wouldn't be allowed. Okay. Mm. Now that seems really simple, but as you like, as Nehemiah said, if you just read one verse, you'd say, "Okay, who is this? Is this relating to everyone, or, are we, or is this relating to everyone that serves as a quote-unquote Levitical in, in the Levitical uh, realm, mm -hmm. or is this a specific person? We're talking about someone who's functioning specifically as the high priest." Yep. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Gotcha. And then now, actually, now can I say something? Sure. Can I say something controversial? Please. Um, well, I, I won't say it because there's children listening. So, <laughs> <laughs> I was. I've, I've been rebuked before, so... I've, no, I've, no, 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 you can't do it. You can't, edit it out, you can't edit leave it us out. on the end of the... No, no, okay, so quick, parents, cover your children's ears. Nehemiah. Okay, Nehemiah's about so, to so do his thing. So, so <laughs> this is what I do. So one of, one of the things that, that I've had some people say to me is people who are, are new to the Torah um, and, uh, they're, they're con you know, and, and they're single and they're convinced that they're only allowed to marry a virgin. And um, they, they've got this idea in their head that I've, I've got to marry a virgin. And, you know, and... And that's fine if you're dealing with like you know an 18 year old or something like that. But if you're dealing with like a 30 year old man or a 40 year old man, <laughs> good luck with that. <laughs> sure. Um, and uh, and actually, what this proves is not only um, are are you not required to marry a virgin, unless you really it's only the high priest that's required to marry a virgin. Mm. And and actually, if we think of the implication here, you know, it says here uh, that the, uh, the the regular priest isn't allowed to marry a prostitute. And, mm -hmm. and I think it's safe to assume that it means a former prostitute because if she's currently a prostitute you're probably not going to want to marry her um but uh the implication here is that um a regular person who isn't a priest is allowed to marry a former prostitute mm -hmm. which is kind of shocking but there it is but you know if somebody is. repents if the woman repents she can marry any israelite who is not a priest who is not a kohen look Nehemiah, if if 
if I mean, look, if a, if a Cohen uh, he falls in love with a with a divorced woman, he, they get married. Is he forgoing his position as a as a as? Uh, well, that's a, that's a really good question. So, if uh, read me your translation of verse seven of, of just the first few words of verse seven. They shall not take uh, a wife who is a harlot or or a defiled woman, nor shall they so take a defiled woman. So the term defiled woman uh, is somewhat of a controversial term. Mm-hmm. Rabbinical tradition teaches that a defiled woman is a woman who's um, comes from the line of being a kohen, mm-hmm. but um, but her. Uh, her father married someone he wasn't allowed to marry. So her father married was a Kohen who married a divorced woman or her father was a, uh, you know, was a man who was a Kohen who married a former prostitute. Um, or her father was someone who committed adultery mm-hmm. and she's the product of adultery. In all of those cases, she would be considered a defiled woman and mm-hmm. the Kohen wouldn't be allowed to marry her. Now the question is, is that what it really means? Uh, and it's not clear that that's what it means. You could, you could maybe say that from verse 15, because uh, verse 14 talks about the high priest not marrying these various people, the, the widow and the divorced woman and, and the defiled woman and the, pro- and the prostitute. Um, and then it says, and he shall not defile his seed among his people, for I, Jehovah, sanctify them. So mm-hmm. that's really where they get that from, from uh, understanding verse f- 15 as being the outcome of verse 14. Sure. But that's not entirely clear that that's the case. Um, it's possible that a defiled woman is simply a woman who has defiled herself through... Um, uh, through prostitution. In mm-hmm. other words, you could read that uh, verse 7 as uh, they shall not take uh, a defiled prostitute. And that's actually very uh, common in Hebrew where it'll say uh, the same thing in two different ways. You mm-hmm. know, it'll say void, void and without form. And really that's the same thing. Um, it's one amplifying the other. Sure. Um, so that's one, one possible interpretation of it, that it's not actually... Uh, she's not defiled by something her father did because you don't punish the children for what the parents did, but that she's defiled by something she did. Um, mm. The other possibility, of course, is that, you know, like I said, tradition certainly says that it's, it's, the, it's the line that becomes defiled then, which then raises the question of can anyone really serve as a Kohen today? Because mm. we don't know who, uh, you know, who 10 generations or 20 generations ago married a widow. Um, sure. And that's why, we wait for the, that's why we wait for the Kohen to... To uh, to be set up, and that's why we wait for the Mashiach. Well, so, so, well, so there is a there is a possibility you had to get the Mashiach in there, didn't you, Keith? Um, but there, <laughs> there, you always work him in there somehow, don't you? But there, but there, there is a passage that talks about in um, <laughs> if we could, if we could turn over to Malachi, Malachi, where is he? Mal, Mal, Malachi, uh, Malachi, chapter uh, three, verse three. God talks about how He's going to send the messenger. Mm-hmm. It says, "And He shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and He shall purify the sons of Levi, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto Jehovah an offering in righteousness." Mm-hmm. And so the implication there is that really no one up until that time, until that happens, can offer the offerings in righteousness and and impurity. And so one one possible reason of why they can't today until the messenger comes is because of this issue of the defiled women. The other possibility, of course, is is the issue of Numbers 19, which which we'll get to, which mm-hmm. is um, you know the whole issue of purity of the dead or impurity uh-huh. being tamay sure. from the dead. Yep. Um, the only way to purify from that is the ashes and the water purification and so on and so forth. Exactly. Brilliant. Thank you, my friend. But the messenger will come and he will purify. Amen. The yes, he will. And then they'll be able to offer the sacrifices. Can I get an amen? Amen. John? <laughs> and then the Mashiach. 
the Messiah. <laughs> there it is. He'll be there. And we'll be stoked. Okay. Broken record. Verse, verse 16. And Yehovah spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron saying, no man of your descendants. I'm sorry, Jono. Jono. I, just two seconds. Two seconds. This okay. is really interesting. Yeah. Is that, you know, normally up until this point, and I think we could do a quick search with our, with our living uh, Bible search man, Nehemiah mm-hmm. Gordon. But, you know, usually what happens is, uh, he, he, what will happen in verse, um, in verse 12 is, uh, I'm sorry, verse, uh, sorry, you said you were at verse 16. What normally will happen, you guys, sorry, my, my eyes are still getting, getting adjusted. You're still verse waking 15, up so, he so will, really over there. No, no, no. <laughs> so he will not defile his offspring among his people. And it says, I am Yehovah. And then it says, not who makes y'all holy, but says who makes him holy or sanctifies what? him or causes him to be, to be holy. Yehovah says so y'all? Usually, when he says "who makes you," he means I think y'all. In American English, "y'all" is the plural of "you." <laughs> yeah, it's the plural of "you." So he speaks okay. in Southern. He says "y'all," but I think this. I want to ask this question, and this is for yeah. this is for Bible search man, you guys. I got to give you a secret. I know a lot of people think that Nehemiah is just a walking. I mean, he's got all this stuff in his head, but he's got the fastest computers program. <laughs> Bible search ever. man. He can search so quick it'll make it your head. We spin. need like a superhero so, outfit yeah, for Bible so search man. So what I want him to do. Is to do a very yeah. quick search, if you can, Nehemiah, in, in record time. How many times does he use the word, I who make him holy? Well, so we've got Exodus 28.3. Oh, um, did you see that? Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> well, this is well, amazing. Well, and also <laughs> talks about, um, well, it doesn't say I, but he talks about Lekadsho, um, Lechahanoli. He talks about Aaron to sanctify him. Yes. So there it's referring to Aaron. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Exodus 29. And you already do this search beforehand, and you know what the answer is going to be. <laughs> Exodus 29.36 says, and you shall anoint him to sanctify him, talking about the high priest. Uh, yes. We're talking about Aaron and his line, rather. Yep. Um, Leviticus 8.12, uh, and he anointed him to sanctify him. Um, let's see. Uh, what other ones do we have? Uh, no, that's not it. Exactly speaking uh, of this, this future, or this person, as the as the uh, uh, this high priest, that's is there any other? Place? So it's, it's not not referring to the priest in the Torah. That's all for the Torah. I can now mm-hmm. look in other parts of the Bible. No, just in the Torah. Uh, yeah, no, that's it. Ah. That's all she wrote. So, so this here, hey guys, ladies, I just wanted to have a reason to stop because here here yeah. is where he he does this and he says, um, "I am Yehovah who makes him holy," and mm-hmm. and this is a this is a special thing here. This is something. Where we can slow down a little bit because he's he's you know he speaks of you know again I am Yehovah who makes you all holy who consecrates mm-hmm. you all and, and they specifically talking about him and again this idea about the standard as you said Jono the high standard for the high priest mm-hmm. that this is something that is I mean I think if we were there and we saw how the high priest was being dealt with and you know I don't know when we see uh, that sort of thing right now I know in in the in my my tradition. We have the bishops, and of course, I just came back from Rome, where I got to see uh, Pontifus Maximus himself, hey. the Pope, and they treat certainly Pontifus Maximus, the Pope, as if he is the high priest. And and when I tell you about the pomp and the way that the the way that the, the people kiss and bow and speak and talk, and simply all he's trying to do, and you two can correct me if I'm wrong, is what he's trying to do as the Pope, and what the Catholic Church is trying to do is to say, look, we've taken the high priest role. We've read enough of it to understand that there's something special about the high priest. We're now going to put it upon uh, 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 Joseph, who we're going to call the Pope, and he's going to be uh, the, the high priest. And then we're going to do everything we can to sort of treat him that way. But what's interesting is about the standards of Scripture and the standards of who is made holy or what, what, what happens. And in this verse, it says, I make him holy. 
Now, controversy. Who makes anyone holy? Yehovah makes them holy, right? So you're telling me you can't organizationally decide who's going to be holy? That's, I don't know that we see that in the Torah. I'm looking at, uh, in, in verse 10, it says, He was the high priest among his brethren on whose head the anointing oil was poured and who so, is consecrated. Okay, so then, so then again, the idea, is, well, now, 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 the, now what, the, what the Pope says is he's got lineage all the way back to Peter, mm. who was given the keys. Now, here's my question. And please, Nehemiah, you keep your ears shut as I keep my ears shut when you and Jono do your, 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 your <laughs> underage discussions. I want you to keep your ears shut. And I want to ask this question, uh, Jono. So, so the, the lineage, and I'm just bringing this up because this is important. Mm. So the lineage for the Pope, who considers himself Pontifus Maximus, mm. he claims lineage to Peter. Why? Because Peter was given keys. Now, where does it speak of Peter being in the lineage of Aaron? I don't believe it does, Keith, off the top of my head. Are you aware of it? I'm calling for accountability regarding lineage. If you want lineage, the only thing that comes to my mind, Keith, uh, when you say Pontifus Maximus, uh, it was my understanding that that was the, uh, the title of the high priest of Mithra. Uh-oh. I mean, well, am I right? I, all I'm saying is this. I, I wanted to, and Nehemi, I appreciated you pushing buttons and Jono letting me do this. I simply, when I see this, when I see this line, there's a certain level, level of, of um, fear and trembling that falls upon me, coming from a, a tradition, again, and we brought this up before, where, you know, you pick a person who picks a person, and you pick a person who picks a person whose lineage is all the way back to what we consider to be the, the first high priest mm -hmm. in the New Testament, where I, I don't see that anywhere in, in the New Testament. But my point is, it's a creation of man's ability to try to uh, get false authority. And yet in this verse, what clearly happens is this. He says, I'm talking about the man now. I'm talking about him. I'm talking about mm. the high priest. I am Yehovah. And guess what? I am the one who makes him holy. Now we can move on. You said that his lineage is not from, from uh, Aaron. Um, and you questioned about whether his lineage is really Peter. Um, and, and I know you're going to be excommunicated now, Johnson, from the Catholic Church. Uh, <laughs> Um, that's a joke. He's not Catholic, but uh, <laughs> but I want to offer another um, explanation of where I think his lineage really might be from. Please, the possibility. So there's an, there's an interesting inscription um, that that is actually embedded into the southern wall of the temple, an, an inch of the of the Temple Mount. Um, and, you know, most people know about the western wall, but there's actually a southern wall as well that's been preserved and um, uh, embedded in the wall. Actually, upside down is an inscription that mentions um, one of the Roman emperor, and, uh, and it describes his different titles. And, uh, and actually, this is one of the things that I posted in my, uh, um, I post uh, these you know, beautiful pictures from all over Israel on my uh, Israel uh, Facebook page. Mm. It's called Israel Places. You can go to my Facebook page, Nehem Gordon, and you can see the Israel, uh, uh, Israel Places. This is one of the ones. And the inscription uh, says it, it mentions Titus alias Hadrianus Antoninus. That's what we know as the Emperor Hadrian. Mm -hmm. And then it mentions his various titles. First one, he's pious. Say pious. 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 He's the father of the fatherland. Yes. And then he's the hot, and then calls him high priest. Mm -hmm. So that's one of his titles, Pontifus Maximus. And this is the Roman emperor. So you've got a man standing in Rome who calls himself Pontifus Maximus, when the original one did that, was he claiming to be the emperor, or was he claiming to be the high priest from the line of Aaron? Mm -hmm. He's the father. Father. He's called father. Father of the fatherland, and he's there the high is. priest. There it is. <laughs> so so that's why like I wanted to duck, slow down. Duck. 
to see if I could draw see if I could draw Nehemiah into this conversation again, and it worked. So, ladies there, and gentlemen, you're getting information. <laughs> you're getting information that you don't normally get here. I think it's the reason for us to stop. I would like to say the prayer. Because say the prayer, my friend. Be, be, the reason is is again. I think throughout the pages of Scripture, and I mean it could be every single line. And you know, I know there are a lot of people who want to who want to go through Scripture and say, okay, I'm going to make it be this. I'm going to force this, force this theology. But here it is, right here. Here it is right here, mm. where the one who is the high priest has been made holy by one, the only one, the mm. one who sanctifies. And so I pray, Father, we thank you so much for this, this program. I thank you for Jono's willingness to host us and to be such a wonderful um, uh, person that, that just wants your word to go around uh, the world. And thank you for Nehemiah and, and for just the opportunity to be in this um, relationship with, with both of these men where we're all trying to open our, have our eyes open that we might see the wonderful things that are hidden, that are, that are beautiful, that are amazing, that are magnificent in your Torah. May those that are listening also have their eyes open that they might see these wonderful things in your name, Yehovah. Amen. 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 Thank you, Keith. Right, can I use this question? And I want to know this word, Nehemiah, if you would also check it as this issue. And I, I'm just going to use this, this verse. And I'm not stepping ahead. We can certainly go back. But I want to go to verse tw- uh, 13 of chapter 22 for just a second. Mm. It, says, it says here, But if a tree's daughter becomes a widow or is divorced, yet has no children, and she returns to live in her father's house as in her youth, she may eat of her father's food. Then it says this, No unauthorized person. So, this word unauthorized, mm-hmm. is this what you find in your version? And then Nehemiah, what, what word would you find in the Hebrew? Well, the word there is czar, and czar mm-hmm. literally means stranger. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that means is anyone who's not a category of the category of Kohen or from mm-hmm. the family of the Kohen is not mm-hmm. allowed to eat of, the, of the, this holy food that mm-hmm. they're eating. Okay. I mean, this is sacrificial food that essentially they're taking and they're eating. Um, and remember, some of the food they were required to eat in a holy place, and another food they were required to eat in a clean place, which you know really could be their living room, a clean place, or their mm-hmm. you know backyard where they're barbecuing it. That's and um, and so the, so the food that they can eat in the clean place, the daughters can eat unless they um, unless they get married. Mm-hmm. But then if they're even if they're uh, widowed or divorced, then they can um, you know if they don't have children, they can come and be part of their father's house again and, and eat of the the bread and the the food in the clean mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. And actually, I, I seem to recall that you highlighted these verses when we discussed the event when uh, David ate and his, and his men ate the holy bread. And, mm-hmm. uh, and we were discussing whether or not that he, that right. he had broken Torah. So, um, yeah, interesting. There it is. Right. What I was going to say was, in light of that, Jono, I was wondering, and, and I certainly I, I, I will take a rebuke, but the this issue in chapter 22, the first part, speaking of this idea of the unauthorized person, mm. but the next section and and I do have a bit of an agenda, so I'm going to slow down. Let, I'm going to make sure that I slow down. There but it this is. Unex- the unex- <laughs> the agenda. <laughs> the, 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 I, have, I have an agenda, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> the unacceptable sacrifice is, is the next um, section mm. that I have, which actually is verse 17. I want to know if Nehemiah and Jono would be willing to um, to skip to that, or do we? is there something we, can, we want to do in 22, 1 through? We can do that. Let's talk about it. Let's, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's do it, because, I mean, it, you know, all the way back here, in regards to the, the priest, it says, you know, if he is, if he's got a broken foot or a broken hand, or if he's a hunchback or a dwarf or a man who has a defect with his eye, or he's got an eczema or a scab, or he's a eunuch, or any of these things, uh, there's a limit as to how he will um, uh, serve. And over here in verse 17, you see a similar thing in regards to um, offerings that are accepted and not accepted. Keith, 
Okay, so here's what I want to just bring up uh, to you, to to both of you, and to those that are listening. And in, in verse 17, I want to be, I want to know if I could spend a card and just read this, read read, read this verse. Um, it says, "The Lord said unto Moses, Yehovah said, Speak to Aaron and his sons, and to all the Israelites, and say to them, If any of you, either an Israelite or an alien living in Israel, presents a gift for a burnt offering." To Yehovah, either to fulfill a vow or as a free will offering, mm -hmm. you must present a male without defect from the cattle, sheep, or goats, in order that it may be accepted on your behalf. Do not bring anything with a defect, because it will not be accepted on your behalf. When anyone brings from the herd or flock a fellowship offering to Yehovah to fulfill a special vow or as a free will offering, it must be without defect or blemish to be accepted. Do not offer to the Lord the blind, the injured, or the maimed, or anything with warts. Or festering or running sores, do not place any of these on the altar as an offering made to Yehovah by fire. You may, however, present as a free will offering an ox or sheep, but that is deformed. Or so here's why I'm reading this, guys. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm trying to get to this issue of when it's acceptable to bring an offering that is not. Uh, can I use the word um, the best offering? Mm -hmm. Is 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 that a fair um, category? Uh, in other words, here's this idea that you have what's the – it can't be deformed, it can't be this, it can't be this, as it pertains to these categories. But then it says, you may, however, present as a free will offering an ox of sheep that is deformed or stunted. But I don't know if I'm if – I'm, I mean, if it says that in yours, your, your translation, Jono, and what, what it says – What verse are you now? Verse 23. Okay, so what I've got in 23 is – Either a bull or a lamb that has any limb too long or too short, you may offer as a free will offering, but for a vow, it shall not be accepted. Okay. Then verse 24, and I'm going to close my ears for this. What does your say in verse 24, Nehemiah? <laughs> <That's>, um, <laughs> it starts with a giggle? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, well, I'm going to let Jonah read that from his perspective. It says, you shall not so I don't offer. don't blame for all this bringing up this topic. You shall not <laughs> offer to Yehovah what is bruised or crushed or torn or cut, nor shall you make any offering of them in your land. Okay. So what that's a nice answer? trance. That's interesting. That's very, that's yeah. very diplomatic translation. It's a very diplomatic. <laughs> yeah. Well, and actually, the reason I'm bringing here, – here's what I wanted to talk right, about. I'm, just I'm curious. Before we I'm get curious. Into, no, no. <laughs> Before we get into Nehemiah's version, is is when is it acceptable to bring something that's not? If can I use the word perfect? Uh, that's sure. not whole. That's not that's not deformed. And, and and why is there a difference between the kind of offering? So if I'm an ancient Israelite and I say, listen, I want to bring a free will offering, and I've got a deformed goat over here or or, or something, I could pick that goat for a free will offering. Am I am I getting this right? It so seems far. like if uh, if you've got a goat and it's hopping along because one of its legs is a little too short or whatever it may be, it seems like you can offer that as a free will offering. And so the question becomes, why is a free will offering and not as a burnt offering? I, I honestly... Uh, my, my answer, my please answer would, be not, would be caca. 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 <laughs> there it is. <laughs> so, so, so listen, so I have to find one of those. For <laughs> because, right. just because. I'm a little giddy today. So verse 24, we've got four things that you can't offer as a sacrifice to Jehovah. What does your translation have of verse 24, Johnson? You must not offer to the Lord an animal whose are bruised, crushed, torn, or cut. But what is bruised, torn? <laughs> okay, so that's, that's what? what I've got as well. I've got bruised, crushed, torn, or cut. What have you got, Nehemiah? Come on, we're so all on these, the edge of our seat. So that's what it says, but these terms in Hebrew are, are specific to... Um, um, 
oh, you're problems. Making, you're with, making me cringe. With, with, with the male genitalia. Oh, I knew and, it. I and, uh, that. and that's actually very significant because the end of the verse says, in, of verse 24 says, and you shall not do this in your land. Mm-hmm. And, and, which but, is kind of significant. That means you're not. Okay, uh, okay. Hang, they, on, hang on, hang the on. Way, the so, way this reads, you're not supposed to fix your dog or fix your bull or your goat. Mm-hmm. And when I say and I say fix with air quotes around it. All right. right. So what? Okay. Now now now. All right. Wait a minute. <laughs> wait How a- I got your attention, goat herder? <laughs> <laughs> you have got my attention because let me tell you. Let me tell the audience. If you've never ever ever smelt a buck in season, you know that's a take that as a blessing. If you now don't know what I'm talking about, because I don't really know. Well, then the, you're you're a very blessed man. But if uh, if you have ever smelt a buck in season, you know. You never so want to do it a again. Buck, a male goat or what is a, a buck? goat? A male, a male goat. Oh, the buck. Okay. Oh my goodness! It is one of the most putrid, incredibly putrid smells you can ever smell. Because the 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 male goat, you know, his own urine is like his cologne, and the and the ladies like it, right? But right. you know, as far as humans are concerned, each their own. No judgment here. <laughs> PMI, let's move on. And so, and so to remedy this, because you only want, you know, at the most one, and to remedy, <laughs> to remedy the situation, you, you ring them. But, but are you telling me that that is against Torah? You ring them? Well, you put it, it's like a little, it's like a little rubber band when they're young, when they're really young, and, you know, it just it kind of, rid of their, it just, it, it drops off eventually. There it is. And, uh, and I suppose that would come into the category of uh, bruised or crushed or torn or cut. Uh, you know, so, yeah. kind of. So now, you, what you're telling me is that what you're saying that I can't do that. What are you saying? You you see what it says. I mean, how do you read it a different way? I, I, I all right. It says, "Nor shall you make any offering of them in your land." Ah, okay. Well, it doesn't. <laughs> that's funny. Um, it doesn't say anything about making offering. It says literally, "And in your land you shall not do." You must not, you must not do this in your lo- in your own land. So whatever yeah, wherever is. your own land is, and this is well, why no. I, I wanted to. Does, this, whoa, whoa! Does it say your own lands or in your? Well, no. Country? It says in, it says in your land you okay. shall not do. Okay. And and presumably in the context it means not to do, um, the the crushing and the cutting and the. <laughs> wow. And here's the point. Yeah. Here's the point for those farmers that are listening and those like Jono. So we were kind of getting to this verse and kind of jumping around. So we're specifically talking about the very thing that uh, that is done to um, keep the um, keep the, uh, the bucks the bucks at, at at a low population level at a low population. So, uh, <laughs> and I just think that that line is is quite interesting. That uh-huh. that what you're in your version, uh, Jono. If you could just read it one time. One more time, verse mm-hmm. 24. Verse 24, you shall not offer to Yehovah what is bruised or crushed or torn or cut, nor shall you make, and this is in uh, italics, any offering of them, uh, and italics, in your land. So really, what it does, Nehemiah, right, nor shall you make in your land is, is right, really So they added the words, any offering of them. That's right. Because, you know, the people translating this said, well, we, we know it can't mean that because we do that every day. So we can't very well have people reading that and 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 uh you know and, and not fixing their ox because then we'd have all these oxen running around goring people mm. like in Exodus twenty one. Right. Um, <laughs> exactly. And that, so the solution the solution obviously yeah. is is the sacrificial system, right? Um, I don't I don't know. That's necessarily what do you mean? How well, I mean because because when you you offer the, those guys up as offer as an offering, they're first oh, on the list, or, right? Or 
Or get used to the smell. <laughs> well, no. There's two solutions. Either you open them up, but you know, if there's okay, so there's no temple at the moment, and so you know, the 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 people so eat them. So you, eat you them. Can eat them, can't you? That is the there source. Is. You got to eat them young. Get them young. Here we go, folks. <laughs> well, come on. I mean, that's it. You're not going to wait until they're they're on because, believe me, you don't want to eat them then. Oh man. Okay. You don't want to. Uh, anyway. I don't. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think I've only ever had goat once and it didn't taste good. You probably had one too late. Okay. Here we are in the feasts of Yavar. <laughs> Can we move on to chapter 23? Is there anything else here we want to pull out? Okay. Well, that just was real quick, big... verse 28, I think, is really interesting. Yeah, it's, it's it different, says, isn't it? That, that uh, a cow or, or, or a ewe do not kill both her and her young on the same day. And what? And what? what's, you know, one of the applica- one of the applications of that is that it's forbidden based on this, the way I read it, to uh, to slaughter um, a pregnant animal because then you're oh. killing the animal and its baby on the same day. Right. I didn't read it that way. I just thought, you know, if it's got a young, uh, if it's nursing or whatever, then you don't do them mm-hmm. on the same day. Perhaps it means both of those, but that I, I didn't well, think. Well, I, I think it includes both of those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That is interesting. That's a good point. Okay. Well, verse 20. Well, I was just going to say, and then and then after all of this difficulty, and you know, you're sitting there scre- scre- screaming, uh, squeaming uh, on your chair uh, if you're a <laughs> farmer, and you're thinking. And then he just says, just in case you 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 think I'm kidding around here, in verse 31, keep my commands and follow them. I'm Yehovah. Amen. You mean these oh, commands? Uh, yes. Keep my commands and follow them. You mean the ones about the priest? Yes. Keep my commands and follow. What what, what about the male goats? Yes. <laughs> what about who I marry? Yes. What, I mean, mm. again, again, I just love the way that this reads. If I'm listening to it and I'm not reading it and picking apart every single word, if I'm read, if I'm listening to this, if I'm an ancient Israelite and I'm listening to the Torah, just when I'm getting uncomfortable, he says, "Keep my commands." As I'm whispering to my neighbor, "Hey, but what about those goats? Keep my commands." I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's. I mean, can you imagine the farmers are sitting there hearing this for the first time? What are you talking about? I put a rubber band on them. I keep mm. my commands. Mm. Don't ring them. <laughs> Eat them. So, so, anyway, we can get to chapter 23. Actually, before we get to 23, I'm going to read the last two verses because we're going to be revisiting this a little bit later in the Torah portion. It says, mm. verse 32, You shall not profane my holy name, but I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am Yehovah who sanctifies you. Verse 33, the last verse of 22, Who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God, I am yes. Yehovah. We're going yes. to be Amen. 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 Revisiting Amen. that Amen. soon. But first, Keith, it is we're talking about his time. Look, I've been waiting for this now, chapter now, since Keith the beginning doing of Genesis some kind of little chapter. video on the time. You're, 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 you're doing a project, right? Come on, tell us about it. No, no. I'm, I'm going to tell us about the happen. project, the little video. I'm going to, well, here's, here's why I'm excited about this chapter because. And I, and I know people have have heard many stories, and I'm going I'm going to I'm going to take my time on this because uh, this coming Shavuot is ten is the actual ten year anniversary, and it was really within just about about a, a week or so or two weeks or so from now where I actually was in Israel and where the first time I met the great Nehemiah Gordon, and so chapter twenty three has always been uh, an extremely um, special, but the reason is because of the invitation to Israel, which I, you know, again, I always, I don't mind talking about it, but it really did come through revelation of a dream. And then and then in the dream, I knew I was to be there, but uh, to be there for his appointment for Shavuot, which we're going to, you know, we're going to talk about this just in a, a few minutes in this, in this chapter, um, really has been a, a, 
a long, long line of connections with this idea of time, which as a Methodist, I really didn't know about the significance of time. I knew about sacred time in the Methodist tradition, which is based on the life of Jesus, two important feasts, Christmas and Easter, and in between it, certain things that happen. We got Pentecost, which is the birth of the church, and we've got this, the Ascension. and these. But basically, time was based on these two main events. Well, when I get to to Leviticus chapter 23, which I didn't even know about Leviticus 23 mm-hmm. until I met Nehemiah, uh, it really it really changed everything. So I just returned from Israel doing a project on time, or what's called Rediscovering God's Clock from the Land of Israel. And within that project, I got a chance to really dig deep to understand why this chapter is so important in the Bible and why the creator of the universe has got this clock. So that's the that's the backdrop for why for Leviticus 23 for me. And then when we get to the section that we're going to read, I'm going to actually ask Nehemiah to reread it just the way he did 10 years ago. So now you can start reading in gender, uh, Leviticus 23, and I might stop you every once in a while and shout. Please. And Yehovah spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them the fists of Yehovah, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. These are my feasts. Number one, we have the Sabbath in verse holy. 3. Six days! Hold it. So Nehemiah, come on, work with me on this. This is important. So it says, Yehovah said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my, and then in my version, it says, my appointed feasts. Uh Jonah, what does yours say? I've got, uh, speak to the children, say say to them, the feasts of Yehovah, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. Does it say appointed? No. Oh, Really? Okay, good. So, Nehemiah, could you read it in, in Hebrew for us? Now, before you translate, I bet yeah. most people, most, most people, that they heard that say it slowly one more time, and I bet most people, that, that a lot of people that are listening, even if they don't know Hebrew, are going to are gonna have heard this. So say it one more time, nice and slow verse, uh, chapter, I'll, verse I'll two. read the key part uh, slowly. Mo'adei. Ah, boy, oh boy. Mo'adei. Mo'adei. So the key word is mo'adei, which is the uh, a form of the word mo'adim. Yep. And mo'adim are appointed times. It's the same word in Genesis 1.14 where it says that God created the sun and the moon for, among other things, mo'adim, mm-hmm. uh, for the appointed times. Then in uh, we have Psalm 104, I believe it is. Where it says Asayareach Lamoadim, he created the moon for the appointed times. Mm-hmm, so we've got mm-hmm. uh, Moed is the singular, and Moadim is the plural. And you know we, we use the word feast, and and uh, or Jonah's translation uses the word feast. Mm. But uh, if you want to be more specific, uh, Hebrew has two words here. The one is Moed or plural Moadim, mm-hmm. appointed times, and the other word is Chag. And Chag is the word that I, I, I you see more often translated as feast. And Chag is uh, a more specific term. Among the Moadim, you only have three Chag, only three that are Chagim or Chag. Uh, Chag is, uh, is the term that could be translated as feast, but more specifically, it's a pilgrimage feast. So mm-hmm. you've got, uh, can we do a quick rundown of what the feasts are and everything and what the appointed times? Or, or yeah, we're going to gonna read them, aren't we? We're gonna, we're, we're, they're, well, they're right we're, here in the chapter. Okay, well, can, can I give an overview first? Or sure, why not? Sure. Read the whole passage. Okay. So first of all, we've got Shabbat. Um, and, and by the way, there's another term, which is Mikra Kodesh. That was also in the passage we read. Mikra Kodesh is usually translated as holy convocation, which is really interesting because the word convocation, in English at least, implies that there's a gathering. 
But in Hebrew, it doesn't necessarily mean that. It can mean that, but it could also mean uh, a holy proclamation. Mm-hmm. That's another way of uh, translating that. And, uh, and that actually makes sense. Uh, you could legitimately read this as, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The appointed times of the Moadim of Yehovah, which you shall, pro- you shall proclaim them as holy proclamations, these are my appointed times. So what you are to do to the holy uh, um, convocations isn't to convocate on them, but to proclaim them. Um, and that is to uh, proclaim them to be days of, the, of proclamation, mm-hmm. that you proclaim them to be holy. Well, so, all right, so we've got the first one. Um, uh, first of all, we have Shabbat, which is you work for six days and rest in the seventh. Um, I think that's pretty self-explanatory to most people. Mm-hmm. Um, then you've got uh, Chagamatzot, or the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And a lot of people confuse that with Passover, because in later Hebrew, we refer to the whole feast as Passover. But in the Tanakh, the, or in the Torah specifically, um, in, in the Old Testament, throughout the Hebrew Bible, uh, Chag Matzot is the name of the holiday, Feast of Unleavened Bread, mm-hmm. and Pesach is the name of the sacrifice. It's not the name of the feast. It's the name of the sacrifice yep. that's brought at the beginning of the feast. Uh, that's seven days, and of those seven days, the first and the seventh day are Mikra Kodesh. Mikra mm-hmm. Kodesh, that's holy proclamation. And the significance of Mikra Kodesh is you're not permitted, permitted to work on a Mikra Kodesh. Mm-hmm. So first and, seven day, first and seventh day of the seven days of Unleavened Bread, days of rest, then during those seven days, we've got the day of the waving of the Omer. Um, then we got the 50 days of the counting of the Omer. Uh, then the 50th day, then, is the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost in Keith's tradition. Mm-hmm. In Hebrew, it's called Chag Shavuot, or simply Shavuot, the Feast of Shavuot. Uh, here, the word Chag, again, implies the pilgrimage feast. Yes. It also has two other names in the Torah. Uh, the other one is Chag Katsir, the Feast of Harvest. Um, and the other is Yom HaBikurim, the Day of First Fruit. Now, this is something I see a lot especially in, in the Hebrew Roots movement, where they confuse the day of first fruits, they think that that's the day of the waving of the Omer. The day of the waving of the Omer is during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Mm-hmm. The 50th day counted from that is called in the Torah, Yom Bikurim, the day of the first fruits, also Chag Shavuot, Feast of Shavuot, and the Feast of Harvest. And then we have the third feast um, is in the seventh month, um, along with two other days. We've got Yom Truah, also called Zichron Truah, which is a day of uh, Truah. Really, I would translate as noise making, mm-hmm. but it can also mean uh, uh, some. It sometimes it means trumpeting um, or shouting. So, day of shouting or day of trumpets. Also, Zichron Truah, which could be translated as a, a memorial shouting, or it could be a mentioning shout. And some people explain that that means to me uh, that the Yom Truah is the day of mentioning the name of Yehovah, mentioning God's name. From that I, know word, Zicharon, Zicharon. I know some people who think that way. I know some people who think that way. Okay. <laughs> I'll let you talk. I'm almost done. Yom, Yom Kippur, or Yom, we call it Yom Kippur in, in you know, common speech, but actually it's called Yom Kippurim, the Day of Atonement. Uh, that's the 10th day of the seventh month. Yom Tura is the first day. Yom Kippurim mm-hmm. is, the seventh, is, is the 10th day of the seventh month. And then we have Chag Sukkot, the Feast of Booths, or some people call it the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, and that's the third of the feasts. And that's also called the Chag HaSif, the Feast of Ingathering. And then the, that's a seven-day feast. And then the eighth day of that feast, which isn't technically part of the feast, is also a Mikra Kodesh, a day of rest. Mm-hmm. So in Chag Sukkot, you have the first and the eighth day are days of rest, uh, are Mikra Kodesh. Um, and uh, the intervening days, the, seven, the second through the seventh day, are actually days you're allowed to work, just as in uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the second through the sixth day, of the feast or days, unless they're a Shabbat, that you're allowed to 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 uh, to work. Sure. Um, and those are all of the 
Feasts yeah, of and appointed times of Leviticus 23. That That's is an excellent summary. Thank you, Nehemiah Gordon. Keith, can I be a little bit controversial? Can I jump right back to the beginning and ask you a question? Because well, now let's go to chapter 24. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> there I'm it is. I'm going to start again. Because, you know, and, and I'd like to say good day to all the, uh, the loonies that are listening. Good day to Ken. Good day to Esther. And because these are the male teams, right? <laughs> Come on now, come on. We can't just jump over this because this is a this is a prime passage for them. They're going, come on, give it to us, explain it to us, or do something with it. Is it, you know what are, what are you talking about? Lunar Sabbaths. Oh, the Lunar Sabbatarians. Uh, oh boy. Hey, hey, look, oh. there's a lot of them that listen and, and oh, good day to you guys and thank you for listening. Wait. All right. Keith. So, so wait, you said so you said Keith what now? <laughs> You said my name. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Because, because we're, we're no, come on. We we highlight the word Moedim, right? In 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 the second verse, mm-hmm. and the first thing that comes up is the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Now, so it's really interesting. So, notice how verses two and verse four are almost identical word for word, and the reason is that, and, and this is something that we've seen before. It's called uh, resumptive repetition. It's when Scripture goes on a tangent. Then when it returns from the tangent, it repeats the last thing it said before the tangent. Mm-hmm. And so verse 2 starts off, he says, okay, now I'm going to tell you about the Moadim, and, the, uh, and you shall proclaim them as holy proclamations. And then he talks about Shabbat. And then in verse 4, he goes again, and he says, these are the Moadim of Yehovah, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim in their appointed mm-hmm. time. So why, did, why does verse 4 repeat verse 2? And the reason is that verse 3 is a tangent. Uh, it was a tangent that was inserted there, because of the association, that's another thing we see very often, that there's this principle of association that when you, uh, you know, things will be juxtaposed. Yeah, we've highlighted a uh, lot of those um, throughout the Torah portions yeah, so far, well, haven't we? So here, here's an example of, by the principle of association. Okay, we're talking about the holy proclamations. I'm just going to quickly mention Shabbat. And then I'm going to get back to the Moadim. Mm-hmm. And that's why in verse 4, he has to actually repeat himself, word for word almost. Again, so here, I'll, I'll read you both verses as my translation. The, uh, and you shall say to them, the appointed times of Yehovah, which you shall proclaim them as holy proclamations, these are my appointed times. That's verse 2. Verse 4, these are the appointed times of Yehovah, holy proclamations, you shall proclaim them in their appointed time. Well, why do that? Why does verse 4 repeat verse 2? And, and that's clearly what we would, uh, call resumptive repetition. Mm-hmm. And what it essentially does is it puts verse 3 as a parenthetical note. It's in parentheses. And um, and so to say then, oh well, you know, it says in the the um, Moadim are the the moon is for Moadim, and then verse three has Shabbat, so therefore the the Shabbat's based on the moon. That that's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> Shabbat is a perpetual cycle that goes back to creation. Mm-hmm. It's been kept by the Jewish people perpetually uh, as an unbroken uh, seven day cycle going back. And that's why you have in every language of the world, or hundreds of languages of the world, all have the, the seventh day of the week. You know, in English we call it Saturday, which is the day of Saturn. But in most languages, it's not called Saturday. In most languages, it's called, like in Spanish, Sabado. In Hebrew, it's called Yom HaShabbat. It's got nothing to do with Saturn. Yom HaShabbat. Mm-hmm. In many other languages, um, you, and you could look this up, there's hundreds of languages that re- preserve the seventh day of the week, the name of it as Shabbat. Mm-hmm. Um, now, one of, the th- one of the things that they'll do is they'll point to the Jewish encyclopedia from, I believe it's 1901. And the reason that's on the internet is because it's, it, the, um, the uh, copyright has run out. So it's very easily accessible. Uh, the problem with the Jewish encyclopedia from 1901 is that it makes all kinds of claims and statements which aren't necessarily true. 
Um, and that's actually true of every encyclopedia. If an encyclopedia tells you that the sky is pink, you've got to say, okay, well, what's the evidence that the sky is pink? Mm-hmm. Um, just because it's an encyclopedia doesn't mean it's true. Uh, one of the greatest examples is Wikipedia, the notoriously inaccurate and unreliable encyclopedia that literally you listener can go in today and change and you can say at, at the drop of a dime you can change anything literally you can go in the article that talks about the sun going around the, the earth and change it or did i say that right the, the earth going around the sun <laughs> and change it to say the sun goes around the earth and it will then be in wikipedia now it might not be for a very long time but there's actually a, a very um uh, infamous example where i believe it's the the prime minister of norway uh, someone went into his web page, into his Wikipedia page, and, and he didn't create that page. Some, you know, somebody on the internet did. Mm-hmm. Um, but they went into the Wikipedia page and talked about the Prime Minister of Norway, and they changed it to say that he spent two years in prison for a crime that I'm not going to mention. Mm-hmm. But it's a very serious crime that that is, you know, is is not not something, you know, is a shameful crime. Um, but I won't mention it because there's children listening. Mm-hmm. It had to do with children. Um, it only was on the on Wikipedia for less than 24 hours before someone went and changed it and fixed it and said, you know, obviously it's not true. We all know he didn't go to prison for that. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, it's a vicious lie that somebody who doesn't like it made up. But during that time, during that less than 24 hours, while it appeared on the internet, it uh, on Wikipedia, it was then quoted by hundreds of news uh, outlets. <laughs> and now throughout the internet, it's reported as fact. That the Prime Minister of Norway, maybe by now the oh former Prime Minister, I don't know, goodness. that he spent two years in prison for a, a crime against children. And, and it just goes to show, just because something's in an encyclopedia doesn't mean it's true. What, so the encyclop- Jewish Encyclopedia from 1901 says that the, the, the Shabbat used to be based on the moon, but then that was changed. Now, what I challenge the people to provide is a Jewish source, and I don't mean the Jewish Encyclopedia. I mean an ancient Jewish source that shows that the um that the that the the Shabbat cycle used to be based on the moon show me a single jewish source now we talk about the the biblical calendar and how the biblical calendar was originally the month was originally based on the moon and now it's based on a, cal- a calculation that was uh, developed by Hill II to the year 359. Now, I can show you that in the Jewish Encyclopedia, but I can also, more importantly, show in ancient Jewish sources, mm-hmm. and specifically, even more importantly than the Hill II thing, I can show you the, the Jewish sources that predate Hill II that talk in great detail about seeing the new moon and sighting the new moon and sighting the new moon in the time when the temple still stood. So I can show you those Jewish sources, and there are numerous Jewish sources like that, what I can't show you is a single Jewish source anywhere from ancient times that says that we Jews are now observing the, the Shabbat because it is the eighth day of the new moon or the seventh day of the new moon and the, and the Shabbat's tied to the lunar cycle. There's not a single source anywhere that says anything even remotely like that. That's a fiction. It's a fantasy invented by the Jewish Encyclopedia. Actually, it wasn't invented by the Jewish Encyclopedia. We know where it came from. It came from German Bible scholars in the 1800s, the late 1800s. They discovered hundreds and actually thousands of documents from ancient Babylon, and they came to the conclusion that everything in the Bible must come from Babylon because there are so many similarities between the culture of the Bible and, and what they believed was the culture of Babylon. Mm-hmm. And it started this whole movement that they called Bibel und Babel, which is German for Bible and Babylon. And they said, okay, well, we know that God didn't create the world in six days and rest in the seventh, so, it, so the, lunar, the Sabbath must come from something in nature. And they decided that, well, the closest thing is the lunar cycle. The lunar cycle is between 29 and 30 days, mm-hmm. and four Shabbats is 28 days. And apparently these scholars couldn't uh, uh, do very good mathematics. They couldn't sure. count. 
Um, because actually, if you do 28 days, you end up with the lunar cycle uh, an extra day and a half mm-hmm. each month. So mm-hmm. what do you do with that? Well, the lunar Sabbatarians say, well, that's an extra Shabbat. It's a 72-hour or 48-hour long Shabbat. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. Uh, I don't know how they would have uh, done the mana in the desert where it says that they had to collect a double portion on Friday. Well, it should have said, they sh- you know, if lunar Sabbatarians are right, it should say that they should collect a triple or quadruple portion. And then think about counting seven Shabbats from the, from the day of the waving of the Omer mm-hmm. all the way until Shavuot. Well, if you count seven Shabbats based on the lunar cycle, the lunar Sabbath theory, you end up with 52 or 53 days. Mm-hmm. And why is that? Because the end of each month has a 29th and or, and or a 30th day. Um, it has either 29 or 30 days, and at least 29 days. There's no such thing as a lunar, lunar month with less than 29 days. Um, back to Bebel and Babel, they said, okay, it must be related to the lunar cycle. And this was a theory. It was speculation. And there's a lot of things in, in many encyclopedias. You can look in the Encyclopedia Britannica, and there'll be things in there that are speculation, that are mm-hmm. theories. Um, and sometimes they're prevent, presented as fact. That happens. Um, that happens in every encyclopedia and sure. in every field of study. Uh, and you always have to ask the question, what is the source? Well, they were able to point to a source in Babylon, which had a concept called Shabbatum. The Shabbatum in Babylon was the 15th day of the lunar cycle, and it was considered an inauspicious day. It was a day of, of um, uh, which was considered cursed. And so they wouldn't go out to battle on a Shabbatum, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't uh, build a house on a Shabbatum. And so the scholars, these German uh, anti-Semitic scholars in the 19th century, decided, oh, Shabbat must have started out as a lunar cycle, and the Shabbatum in Babylon proves that it's actually the same thing as the Jewish Shabbat, um, uh, based on the lunar cycle. Uh, now, if you look at the Shabbatum of Babylon and the Shabbat of the Hebrew Bible, they're two fundamentally different things. The Shabbatum of Babylon is a cursed day, and that's why you're not doing work. You don't want to do work on a cursed day because your work won't turn out well. In the Bible, it's not a cursed day. It's a sanctified day. It's a holy day. It says he created the Shabbat and sanctified it. It's the holiest. It's the holy day of the holiest day of the week. It's not, it's not a curse day. We don't do uh, work to remember that God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. It's, mm-hmm. it's fundamentally different than the Shabbat tomb of Babylon. The reason they have the same, a similar name is that in Semitic languages, the word Shabbat means rest. Mm-hmm. And so the Babylonians rested on the day they considered to be cursed in the lunar cycle. The Hebrews were resting on a perpetual seven-day cycle going back to creation when God himself rested on the seventh day. And there it is. And there it is. Kate, do you reckon he's a little riled up about it? What do you think? So, so okay, so so one, just only one, only one simple thing I wanted to bring up on ch- chapter 23 was just this idea that he says, these are my appointed feasts. So the word appointed, the thing that was so interesting to me was that when I was invited, the only word I heard was that, uh, I've not changed my appointment with you, but I was not studying Hebrew. I did not know about Moedim. I did not know. And that the communication to me was that there was an appointment. And this idea that there's an appointment, so addressing the issue that Nehemiah just talked about and what you brought up, Jonah, regarding those that are going by the lunar Sabbath or whatever, think of this. If the creator of the universe has an appointment book, mm-hmm. and in his appointment book, it's written, meet with my people on this day. Mm-hmm. Why? Wouldn't we want to do it? Amen. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm asking this tradition, question. Tradition, yeah, tradition, tradition, tradition has like, I've heard all of. these I'm things. Thinkable. All these I'm things. Tradition. <laughs> so, so basically, the thing that I want, more than anything, that I wanted to say, and and we did do an overview oh, of chapter twenty-three, 
But more than anything is that these things that we're talking about here, these are actually in his appointment book. They're actually on a calendar. In the throne room, maybe it says, oh, I've got an appointment with my people. And then the people are down here saying, that's not convenient. That doesn't work for us. We want to use a different calendar. And that's why I've been focusing on this, this idea of time, because I think there's a lot of people that are listening that do know about the Lunar Sabbath. They do know about the Moedim. They know about this, but there's a lot of folks that we're reaching who have no idea mm-hmm. what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. They just want to know, what, what, what do you mean? You mean to say that God actually has a calendar? Yes. And guess what? It's not the Gregorian calendar. It's not based on the Edict of Pontifus Maximus. Maximus. It's not based on Pope Gregory. This calendar is set. It's hardwired in the mm-hmm. earth. And we can see it. In fact, I want to tell you guys, just as people are going, as they listen to this, you know, whatever day this will this will come out, you know, there's a chance for people to actually look up and see God's clock. And so that's why I've been focusing on this. It's been 10 years on this issue of Leviticus 23. Mm-hmm. And this chapter is just important because it lays out so clearly when these appointments are and, and, and how we're, you know, Amen. how we're to meet with them. So and, and you that's, sur- that's my long and short of it. You were surprised. And I'm not letting you off, Keith. I, I want something else from you on this chapter before we go. But um, you were surprised that, <clears throat> pardon me, my, my translation didn't mention the phrase appointed times. And it's an interesting thing. As you were talking, I just glanced down at the study notes of my New King James Study Bible here. And it says, uh, mm. in regards to verse 2, these instructions were for all the people and not just for the priests. The Feast of the Lord literally means, quote, appointed times of the Lord. Uh-huh. Well, why not say that if that's what it literally why means? Why not put it in the I verse? Mean, why not put it in the <laughs> verse for Pete's sake? Okay, so this then it yeah. goes on to say, this phrase emphasizes that these were, past tense, specifically appointed holy days. Let me, let me say they are specifically appointed holy days. So, Keith. Give us something else, just one more thing, something that you really like in this chapter that you want to just uh, well, focus in on. Well, the only thing on. in this chapter is just that, that in chapter, um, in verse, uh, I believe it is 15, uh, which we're actually in this time right now, and I believe we, even when the, uh, when the show uh, airs, we, we may be just about at the end, I'm not sure yeah. the exact date. Roundabouts, yeah. Yeah, roundabout. That this idea of actually counting from the Feast of Unleavened Bread up until the time of Shavuot. And during this time, for me, every single year, every year without fail, for the last 10 years, it's always been a special time. And I know there's traditions about this and there are different, you know, um, maybe rabbinic tradition and different other areas where people talk about it. But every single year between the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the time of Shavuot has always been special like Mm. things just happen and so for me i've just been excited it's it's, it's a chance to count the times to know when we're at to look forward and then of course when shavuot comes we celebrate that also so um, when i met nehemiah i told him that i had a dream to be there for shavuot and he later uh, said to me the thing that caught his attention is okay that's one of the hog that's a that's a that's a that's a pilgrimage feast and so he later told me that that was something that caught his attention Mm. and then of course when we got to the torah scroll to be able to open it up, and it opened up to Leviticus 23 on this particular section in verse 15 and on regarding, um, let's see here, yes, 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 I believe it was, yes, aha. Uh-huh. So, and this is what we could have Nehemiah read. He's never actually uh, actually ever read this uh, publicly, but this is what he read, but I'd like him to read it in Hebrew if he could, in Leviticus 23 verses 15 up until uh, verse 16, I believe it is. Okay. <clears throat> וספרתם לכם למחרת השבת מיום הביאכם את עומר התנופה שבע שבתות תמימות תהיינה. עד למחרת השבת השביעית יספרו חמישים יום 
ויקרבתם מנחה חדשה ליהובה. And then I asked Nehemiah the question that you all are asking right now. What are you reading? And what did you say, Nehemiah? You want me to translate it? And, and you shall count no, for yourselves... Practices. <laughs> no, and you shall count for... <laughs> and you shall count for yourselves from the morrow of the Shabbat, from the day of the bringing of the Omer that, of waving, and Omer is a word that means a sheaf, mm-hmm. so the sheaf of waving, seven complete Sabbaths they will be. Until the morrow of the seventh Sabbath, you shall count 50 days. And you shall bring a new offering, uh, or mincha, which is a grain offering. Mm-hmm. You shall bring a new grain offering to Yehovah. Mm-hmm. And so the says, says, says to, to me, I'm sitting here, he says, I'm reading here uh, about the, uh, the, the celebration, or the, the uh, I forgot how you said, the, the holy day. Oh, now you're or, talking about what, what I read from your Torah scroll? Mm. Is, that, is that the story you're talking about? Yeah. Yes. He started reading the section, so and he that, read for a while. Yeah, it must, it must have been that thing. Okay. Yep, that's what it yeah, was. Yeah, it must have been. Okay. Yeah. And uh, what are you talking about? I've been waiting for this this show this entire time, and now you're questioning. <laughs> no, no, that, you're right. No, 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 but the point was that when he read this, and he and he said, "I'm, I'm reading here about the the holiday of Shavuot." Well, for me, mm-hmm. that that again, this idea that there's an, an, an appointment, and that I was in Israel for that appointment, and got to be on the south so, southern side of the temple, celebrating on the actual day, though it was different than the rabbinic date, different than the Christian uh, Pentecost. Uh, at that particular time, Shavuot fell at a, at a at a time that didn't match those those uh, those other dates. But I knew according to scripture and by counting of time when it was. And so again, the invitation for us as we go through this chapter and as people go back and read it is is to understand what these are, but then to understand when they are. Mm-hmm. And the awesome thing is, we actually can know when they are. It isn't as complicated as some people have made it out to be. It really is a powerful thing to witness heaven and earth. Coming together in orchestration to let us know when the appointments are, and I, you know, last night, I, you know, I, I won't continue, but I'm just saying it's exciting to me to know uh, his times and when the appointments are, and that we can actually be on his calendar. So it's pretty Amen. cool. Amen. Let me read this. As Nehemiah removed the velvet cover, he remarked that it was indeed a genuine Torah scroll and a very old one at that. And I waited in anticipation as Nehemiah began to read from the scroll. What does it mean? I asked. He says it's this, the section on the Feast of Leviticus in 23. Nehemiah explained, I immediately picked up my Bible and turned to Leviticus 23 so that I could follow along. As Nehemiah read and translated, it dawned on me that the scroll had opened to the section on Shavuot. When Nehemiah reached the end of the section, I let out a loud shout, a shout of excitement and jump for joy, clenching my Bible in my hands. And when I was done dancing with joy, I turned to Nehemiah, who had... <laughs> <laughs> it been I think we need to recreate that moment. Can we recreate? Yeah, right. Who was, was startled, startled by my vocal and physical expressions of enthusiasm and said, "Do you realize?" He said, "Do you realize the significance of this?" I had been called to come to Jerusalem on on Shavuot and get the Torah scroll for. Uh, which everyone told me was impossible, and finally I got the scroll and you opened it to the section on Shavuot. Nehemiah told me that he was. <laughs> He was impressed, but not sure what to make of it. Oh, dear me, I love this book. Just <laughs> create that moment. No, no, let me say something. Let me say something. We must recreate that moment. No, no, I want to say something here. Uh, here we are 10 years later, and who shouts more than me? <laughs> Come on, there it is. <laughs> we so don't I'm need to recreate the moment. there in Jerusalem, in this apartment, and I'm reading... Uh, 
חוקת עולם בכל משפטיכם לדורותיכם. And what does Keith say? He says, what does it mean? I don't know what he's talking about. I, I didn't know how to say it. It's like, I have his Bible dancing. I'm like, what the? <laughs> yeah, what is he doing? Like, hey, I fell into this Bible. This. What's so amazing oh, about this, Jonah? Really, honestly, if, if you look at where we're at, here we are now. Look at this, just this very moment. Mm. I've been waiting for this moment. On this very moment, after the reading of the Torah scroll, after the shouting, after the singing, I said, Nehemiah, you and I are going to be friends. He said, no, we're not. I said, Nehemiah, you're going to teach me to read the Torah scroll. He said, no, I'm not. And we had an argument. And we fought back and forth. And 10 years later, now we're teaching from this thing around the world. People are hearing this around the world. And this is a, this is a, a really cool moment for me because, because I'm sitting here and I've got you, Jono, in Australia, Nehemiah in Israel. I'm in the United States. We've opened up to the section that was opened up in that Torah scroll that's just around the corner from where I'm sitting right now. Mm-hmm. And that Torah scroll is a witness of what I believe uh, the Creator is calling us to now that His Torah would go forth around the world, that people would understand it, attempt to live it, want to understand it, apply it in their lives, and now mm-hmm. that's what we're doing. So 10 years later, here we're actually talking from this chapter, so you got to understand why, for me, I'm, I get a little excited. It's, it's, it is exciting, and I just want, just in case there are some people that don't know what we're talking about, the book is called A Prayer to Our Father. I just read a little bit of that. And uh, a prayer to our father, Hebrew Origins of the Lord's Prayer by Nehemiah Gordon and Keith Johnson. It is the whole story. It is a riveting story. Do you know what? I, you know, I'll tell you just quickly. I, I lent this. Uh, I gave a copy of this book to our uh, karate sensei. You know, all the kids and, and Khani as well. They're doing karate. He also happens to be our accountant. He's a lovely guy. Really, really nice guy. Hopefully, he's listening to the program. So, g'day to David. And so... Uh, he just started reading it, and he said, you know, it's it's great. It's really easy to read, and I really like books like this, and I'm finding it hard to put down. So for everybody who hasn't got this book, you have to get it. I can't believe you haven't got it. You've been listening to Torah Pearls. It's available. The truth's to you. Get it quickly. Awesome. 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 Thank you, guys. Now, listen, we better, we better skip along, and I really want to get to um, chapter yeah. 24. Chapter yeah. 24. Can I, can I kick off from uh, verse yes. 10, or is there something yes. before that? No, that's oh, good. You can go with it. verse 10. Let's go to verse 10. I'm going to read this. You just stop me when you want. Now, the son of an Israelite woman, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the children of Israel, and this Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel fought each other in the camp. And the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name of Jehovah and cursed. And so they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was uh, Shilmit. Thank you. The daughter of Dibri and the tribe of Dan. And they put him in custody that the mind of the Lord, the mind of Jehovah, might be shown to them. And Jehovah spoke to Moses, saying, Take outside the camp of him who was cursed, and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head, and let all the congregation stone him. Do you want me to keep going? We've got to stop at the mind of the Lord. What do you got there in verse 12, Keith? It says, and they put him in custody until the will of the Lord should be made clear to them. What it literally says is, to explain to them, according to the mouth of Yehovah. And this is really interesting, because here we have this uh, man who has cursed Yehovah, and they don't know what to do. And what, it, what happens, Moses goes to Yehovah and asks him, what should we do in this case? And that's actually one of four, uh, possibly five instances in Numbers which Moses time. didn't, which Moses didn't know what to do, and he went to Yehovah and he asked him for clarification. Yeah. And, uh, and and I know for me this was an important passage as I was a young man studying the Torah, because I had always been told that Moses went up to Mount Sinai and received the entire Torah, 
and um, including all the explanation of all the commandments. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it turns out from this that he didn't. That Moses went mm-hmm. up to Mount Sinai and he received the Ten Commandments and he received certain instructions, visual uh, images of what he was supposed to do mm-hmm. with the, um, with the tabernacle. Uh, tabernacle, but he did not receive all of the commandments in the Torah. And so in this specific instance, they simply didn't know what to do and Moses had to go and ask God, what do we do here? Mm-hmm. Mm. And, and, and the answer I comes. Do think, yeah, the answer comes. And of course, the, the other thing that's, it, that's obviously really important is many folks in my tradition, and, and I've heard commentaries, etc., they'll read, this verse, and they'll say this is an obvious situation where this is based on uh, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord you will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, Exodus 20, back to the 10 years ago. 10 years ago, I was talking to Nehemiah about this very issue, and and this was one of the things that led this whole discussion regarding the name and why it was such an important mm-hmm. issue. And I remember sitting in the traditional spot of, right, we're not far from Absalom's tomb which is not actually Absalom's tomb, but we were in the Kidron Valley walking. Nehemiah doesn't remember this stuff, but I remember everything almost moment by moment. And as we were walking, we were walking, and he would, back those days, Nehemiah was about 100 pounds heavier. And he used to take breaks. And I used to love when he would take breaks because that would be an opportunity for me to ask him a question. (laughs) And if you can tell on our radio show, you know, he's sitting and he's relaxing right now, folks. So he's ready to roll. But in those days, you know, we'd be walking. He wouldn't be talking too much because he'd be walking and sweating. And then we'd sit down. He'd open up his, uh, his, his backpack and grab his water. And I knew it was time to ask a question. So this is an important one that you're bringing up, Jono, because I asked the question, according to, Levitic, uh, to Exodus 20, you shall not misuse the name. Mm-hmm. And then it says, he says, you, you shall, uh, you should, he will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses the name, then when you get to Leviticus chapter 23, you see this situation, and the assumption is that this person has basically broken the command from the Ten Commandments, or the Ten Words. Mm-hmm. Why is that not the case? Because if it would have been that, we know what the answer is. But Moses did what Menachemia just talked about. He said, look, we need to find out what the mouth of Yehovah is on this. This isn't, this isn't, this ain't that. This mm. is something else. And so this is another issue that we talk about uh, in depth in the book, His Hallowed Name Revealed Again, because this information that I was able to glean from Nehemiah really changed my entire view of what was happening in Leviticus 23 versus what I thought or assumed was happening in Exodus chapter 19, so, uh, or 20. So it, it's, you know, we don't have to go into great depth, but there's a difference between what he's doing here and what the command is regarding. Yeah, that's um, a really good point. Yeah. Thanks, thanks and, for and just. Yeah, I mean, so get more detail in Keith's book is how name revealed again. But just mm. the quick answer here is that there, there's two two different scenarios that are described in, in verses 15 to 16. The first scenario it says any man who curses his God shall bear his sin, and that's the mm-hmm. scenario where a person curses uh, using a, one of the titles, a generic term. He says, you mm. know, cursed be, and then he says God, or he says cursed be the Lord, something like that. Mm. Um, and verse 16 it then says, and if he explicitly uh, states the name Yehovah, he shall surely be put to death. Now, the mm-hmm. context here is explicitly stating the name Yehovah not to praise him, but to curse him. Mm-hmm. And that's actually yes. what the man did in verse 11. It says, and he and the son of the Israelite woman explicitly stated the name Yehovah and cursed. In other words, yes. he said something like, cursed be, and then he said the actual name of God, and doing that is what got him executed. It wasn't that he just spoke mm-hmm. Yehovah's name, 
because you know that's something that Boaz did when he when he uh, greeted the harvesters uh, mm-hmm. outside of Bethlehem. He said to them, Yehovah Yimachem, Yehovah be with you. And they said to him, Yehovah, Yehovah bless you. And that remained a greeting in ancient Israel, really, up until probably the second century CE. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. e- even the rabbis, by the way, mentioned that this is how an Israelite greets his fellow, using the name. Um, and then later on, because of Roman persecution, they had to forbid people from speaking the name. But the original commandment here has nothing to do with just speaking the name. It's speaking the name in a curse. Right. And the point is that if you use the actual name in the curse, then you're put to death. Mm. If you use a generic title, that's horrible. You're going to bear your sin, and you're going to have to be accountable for it before God. But if you speak the actual name in your curse, then you're to be put to death. Mm-hmm. Mm. So this is a big one, and and this was this was something that yeah. was that was just eating away uh, at me for a long, long period of time. And able to kind of look at the Tanakh and see what the answer is to get this information, to put it together, and then realize, wait a minute. This is not. This ain't that. And it really is. It really is quite freeing to know the the significance and seriousness, the reverence for his name, the, but that his name has been, in a sense, taken away from us by tradition and by misinterpretation of very passages like this, wherein, in fact, we are to ha- to, to to have his name and and you know that his name is mm. something is to be praised and to be honored mm. and to 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 and actually. Revered. To revere, yes. Amen. And, and you know, I, I want I want to point out this isn't some novel interpretation. If you look at ancient Jewish sources, and interestingly enough, even ancient Christian sources, they both understood what this passage was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, the the misinterpretation that, that's applied to this is something that really is 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 more recent than that. And and um, I don't know, I don't think I've ever shared this with Keith. There's a really interesting discussion in the writings of the rabbis that talk about what this the early rabbis that talk about what this verse means, and they say, well. It's not only that you curse the name Yehovah, but you curse the name Yehovah using the name Yehovah, and uh, and they bring the example and, they, and 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 it talks about how they would interrogate uh, a, um, a a criminal if he were to do this, if he were to to um to actually curse the name using the name, and in place of the name Yehovah, they insert a different name uh, for the purposes of the interrogation because if they don't, then they end up cursing him. Um, <laughs> And, and by the way, one of the translations there that you read had the word blasphemy. The word blasphemy doesn't appear anywhere in this entire passage in Hebrew. The word True. is curse. A- absolutely. Interesting. And so they'd say, to, they'd say to the man who had committed the crime, they'd say to him, did you say as follows? And then they would say, yake yose et yose, and they, and, which means may yose, yose is you know, a Hebrew name, may yose smite yose. And Yossi is being inserted in place of the name Yehovah because they don't dare say the name Yehovah in, in, in a curse. But they're saying, did you say, may Yossi smite Yossi, but with the name Yehovah instead of the two mm-hmm. Yossis? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so they clearly understood that this was about cursing the name Yehovah, and they believed it was even cursing the name Yehovah by the name Yehovah. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a double curse. Um, and that's, that's what they understood it to mean to explicitly state the name. Uh, and so this idea that it, you know, that we're not allowed to speak God's name because of this, and this is the source of the ban on the name, that certainly doesn't appear in in the earliest Jewish sources. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that was concocted somewhat later. Sure. Well, when, Jonah, when, the, when the ban on the name was already in effect. Keith. Well, one thing I would suggest that people do do. I mean, you know, look, you don't have to get the book as hallowed name revealed again. You don't have to do that. That's 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 for those that want to, you know, go into to 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 the the many different issues. But one of the things that really is kind of, is cool, just to your just your normal Bible. Uh, do do this for those that are listening. Just go to the word blaspheme in your in your English Bible and see mm-hmm. how many different uh, words uh, that word comes from. In other words, how many original words are there? And for the word bl- blaspheme, so blaspheme is kind of a word that the uh, we we didn't we kind of like how it sounds, 
but but, but where it comes from is it? it Blasphema! He said it again. <laughs> <laughs> but I do a little study on that word blasphemy. It just it really is quite interesting. And again, I think that for this this story that we're we're looking at here is is powerful on a number of different levels. One of them being that Moses says, "Let's go find out what the mind of Yahovah, the mouth of Yahovah is." Mm. Two, what he actually did, and then three, how that's been interpreted, translated. Uh, interpreted for us and make made uh, us many people to think well look i don't want to get stoned so i won't i'll just stay away from it altogether mm-hmm. when in fact they're really missing a blessing so it really is pretty powerful and so it takes a little bit of a break a little bit of a twist here from verse 17 to 22 it says uh whoever kills any man shall surely be put to death whoever kills an animal shall make a good animal for animal if a man causes disfigurement of his neighbor as he has done so it shall be done to him and here we see fracture for fracture eye for eye tooth for tooth as he caused disfigurement of a man so it shall be done to him and whoever kills an animal shall restore it but whoever kills a man shall be put to death it emphasizes that it repeats it there in 22 you shall have the same law for the stranger and for one from your own country for I am Yehovah, your Elohim. Mm-hmm. Amen. Okay. And uh, this is the way it ends. This is the last verse. And it's uh, verse 23 of our Torah portion. Then Moshe spoke to the children of Israel, and they took outside the camp him who had cursed and stoned him with stones. So the children of Israel did as Yehovah commanded Moses. Amen. There it is. Okay. So that is that is our Torah portion. There it is. We're finished. Thank you, Nehemiah Gordon and Keith Johnson. As I said, their books and DVDs are available from Truth To You. And we mentioned a prayer to our father, the Hebrew origins of the Lord's Prayer by Nehemiah Gordon and Keith Johnson. Also, his hallowed name revealed again, which I highly recommend by Keith Johnson. And uh, remember, these Torah pills are available to download freely from the website. And if these programs have been a blessing to you, you can also show your support by donating at truthtoyou.org. That's truth number two, letteryou.org. Next week, we are in Behar, Leviticus 25, verse 1 to 26, verse 2. And until then, dear listeners, be blessed and be set apart by the truth of our Father's word. Shalom.